What if God isn't cruel? Isn't it unkind and unfair to call him so? What if God is just? Isn't it unfair to call him unjust? So with this in mind, shouldn't we view God as he actually is? Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and thanks for joining me in another episode of The Fox Den. When you think of God, what comes to mind? Is he kind? Is he cruel? Is he out of touch? Is he uninvolved in your life? Is he uncaring? Is he aloof? God gets a bad rap. People make all kinds of outlandish accusations against him. They think he's cruel, mean, unfair. And actually, these distorted views of God are unfair. What if God isn't cruel? Isn't it unkind and unfair to call him so? What if God is just? Isn't it unfair to call him unjust? So with this in mind, shouldn't we view God as he actually is? Think about it. You would be offended if someone believed something about you that wasn't true. Many years ago, I was accused of doing something by fellow workers that I never did. And I was outraged because somebody slandered my character. And this was totally unfair that they would tell my boss that I was doing something I didn't do. And I wanted people to know the truth. I wanted them to know my character. Because this was a false view. It's not fair that they made outlandish accusations about me. So with this in mind, why is it okay to believe something about God that isn't true? Why is it okay for us to have a false view of God? We need to take responsibility for our faulty view of God because of our own distorted thinking. You see, there's nothing wrong with God. He's perfect. We, on the other hand, are sinful and fallen in Adam. And because of our fallen nature, because of our sinful nature, we all have a distorted view of God. Now think about how arrogant we are to think that God has a problem and that we're perfect. To think that God is the issue here, not us. And furthermore, think about how arrogant it is to put God on trial, judging him for how we see things, and we demand that he explain himself. So, for example, you think he's cruel, and you think he's cruel based on your understanding of God. You see, we've established what we believe to be cruel or not cruel, and then we judge God based on our view of what is cruel and not cruel. Do you see the arrogance of man? that we the creatures would demand that the Creator explain Himself to us. You see, God never sinned. And not only that, due to our fallen nature and apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we hate God. Do you see how we're the problem? We're the sinful ones. We're the ones who violated God's holy law back in Genesis chapter 3. We're the ones who continue to violate God's holy law on a daily basis. He's not the issue. We are. God is perfect. He is sinless, righteous, and just. But for some strange reason, we don't like the way that he runs his universe. We have the audacity to question him on his character, on his providence. When things don't go our way, we get mad at him. Do you see the arrogance of man that for some reason God is there to make our lives better? You see, there's several distorted views of God. Some people view God as a happy-go-lucky guy who never gets mad. And sure, you make some mistakes and sometimes some really big ones, but that's no big deal. He'll forgive you because he loves you and he doesn't want to live without you. 
He just wants you to be happy, and he wouldn't do anything to cause problems in your life. I see this distorted view of God mainly in Christian circles. And I think the reason why is we don't want to let people know that God is actually a just God. So we overemphasize the loving part of God. But it's a distorted view of God nonetheless. And it's actually an arrogant view of God. We elevate ourselves above him. And again, in this view, you are the center of the universe and God is there to make your life better. It's like he's your butler or your servant, but he's not. Other people see God as a taskmaster. He takes great joy in creating new rules to remove all your fun and to make your life miserable. And as I mentioned earlier, others see God as cruel and unforgiving. And this, too, is an arrogant view of God. It supposes that we are forgiving in kind and God is not. All of these views are really distortions of who God really is. So what is God really like? Well, to be honest, we only get a glimpse of God. We will never have a complete understanding of who he is because he is God and we are not. However, God has revealed a little bit about himself in creation and in the Bible. So for this episode, I want us to see how God revealed himself in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And here God gives us a broad description of himself. However, I'm going to approach this in reverse order. There's really two parts, and I'm going to address the last part first. So with that in mind, the first thing we see is God is just. God is totally righteous, and he will not let sin go unaccounted. As it says in verse 7, he will by no means clear the guilty. And by guilty, we're talking about the slightest infraction of his holy law. Now, a lot of people would think that God is being nitpicky, that God would judge the slightest infraction of his holy law. But God is just. He's the judge, and he judges by the strict letter of the law. The smallest infraction is worthy of death. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. God gave the command not to eat the forbidden fruit. Adam ate the forbidden fruit, and that's the fall of mankind. And people don't like that. They think God is nitpicky because it's such a small thing. But is it really a small thing for the creature to violate the law of holy God? Sure, you think it's just a piece of fruit, but he violated God's holy law. And he paid the penalty for his sin. God told him the result of eating the forbidden fruit was death. Adam died. And we too will die because we are related to Adam. And we are violators of God's holy law. And again, as verse 7 states, God will not clear the guilty. He judges according to the strict letter of the law. In fact, it also states in verse 7 that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the fourth generation. Now, you can see why people would have a distorted view of God and think that he is cruel or harsh, unbending. And I'm sure at this point, you may have many reservations with what I've just said. Perhaps you're afraid that I've painted God out to be a harsh taskmaster, a cruel judge who has no grace or compassion. But please stick with me. I think you're going to like how this ends. So now look at verse 6 and how God is described there. He's gracious and merciful. He bestows his favor on us, even though we don't deserve it. And there's nothing in us that's worthy of God's favor. He did this by his grace. 
And also, he doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve, but instead he extends mercy to us. And then furthermore, he is slow to anger, and he is overflowing with love and faithfulness. And he keeps steadfast love for thousands and forgives them. Did you notice the difference between the two parts? They seem to contradict each other, don't they? One part reveals God as kind and gracious, and the other part reveals him as a just judge who will not clear the guilty. However, both parts correctly reveal who God is, and he is both these parts at the same time. Now, I want to be careful when I talk about parts, because God is not like an orange where you can break him apart into different pieces. He's not that way at all. He is gracious, kind, patient, loving, and the just judge at the same time. Now, there is something else I want to bring up at this point. There's some folks who call God a cosmic child abuser because he sent Jesus, his own son, to die on the cross. Now, perhaps had God offered his son to Molech, the false god of the Canaanites, you could call him a cosmic child abuser. In the Old Testament, the Israelites fell into this false worship, and they actually sacrificed their children to Molech. And these children that were offered up to this false god were passive participants in this false worship. They had no say. Their parents offered them over to a false god. But that's not how it worked with Jesus. He wasn't a passive participant. He didn't go to the cross unwillingly. He went willingly. Take a look at Luke chapter 24. In verse 13 and following, two men were walking on their way to Emmaus. And Jesus appeared to them after he rose from the dead. And then look at what he says in verse 26. Jesus tells them that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and enter into his glory. Does that sound like Jesus was a passive participant? It seems like Jesus knew what he's getting himself into. He knew this was necessary, and he knew why he had to come to earth. Now look at Acts chapter 2, and notice what Peter says in verse 23. Jesus was offered up according to the foreknowledge of God. It doesn't say according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. My point here is, in eternity, the Trinity, the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, planned for Jesus to come and to suffer and be killed. Jesus knew what he was getting into because Jesus was part of the plan. Because of his deep love for the Father, Jesus came to do what was necessary to rescue those whom the Father gave him to rescue. Therefore, God is not a cosmic child abuser because Jesus willingly came to suffer and die for us. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus liked dying on the cross. It was a horrible way to die. But what was even worse than death on the cross was becoming sin for us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that Jesus became sin for us and he was sinless. Jesus never sinned because he is God who became a man. And yet he became sin for us. Think about that for a minute. The God who is sinless, the God who hates sin and will punish sin, took our sins on himself, who became sin for us. That was much worse than a horrible death on the cross. And this God who took our sins on himself that we may be rescued from sin, death, and the devil, this is the God who gets a bad rap. This is a God who is falsely accused of being cruel 
mean, harsh, a cosmic child abuser. You really want me to believe that this God is a terrible tyrant? Tyrants in earthly kingdoms would never do such a thing. They want you to sacrifice yourself for them. They're never willing to spill their own blood, but they're willing to spill yours. God, on the other hand, had a different plan. He came to earth as a man. He took our sins on himself, and he died the death that we deserve so that we would have eternal life with him. And you want me to believe that that God is a tyrant. How arrogant man is to hold so firmly to a false view of God. He is no tyrant. But the reason why people call him a tyrant is because they hate him. They look at one aspect of God, they focus on that, but it gives them a reason to hate him. They don't want him to hold their sins accountable. They want to live in their sin with no accountability. And that's why they hate him. Take a look at John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says that people love darkness and didn't love the light. And Jesus tells us why they love darkness. Their works were evil. Therefore, they hate the light, because it exposes their evil deeds. And this is why sinful man calls God a tyrant. He judges their sins, and they don't like it. Said another way, they love their sin and don't want to stop or be held accountable. They want to continue in their sin. This, by the way, is why Christianity is a target for the world. Because we bear the name of Christ, and they hate him. Now, returning to Exodus 34, couple the two parts of this passage together, and the gospel makes more sense. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, there's several answers to this question. First, though he was sinless, he became sin for us, which we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Second, as I said before, God is just and must punish the slightest infraction to his law. He's not harsh. He's just. He will not clear the guilty. And we saw that in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. So at this point, you may say that God is a harsh taskmaster. And I would say God is the most just judge of the universe. And in fact, I would say you want God to be just. An unjust God is terrifying. Now, you may wonder, if I'm sinful and God is the most just judge, then how am I saved? The great transaction. Your sins were put on Christ and punished in him, and his perfect obedience and righteousness were put to your account. God keeps his word, and you are saved. He punished the smallest infraction in Christ, so that God's justice is satisfied and the rule of law is intact, and the guilty is punished and the righteous are exonerated. It just so happens that the righteous one, Christ, is punished on our behalf. Did God clear the guilty? No. He punished the guilty. Christ who became sin for us. And we are exonerated because we bear the righteousness of Christ, which God put to our account when he united us to Christ by faith. So not only did God exercise his justice in punishing your sins in Christ, He also extended his marvelous grace, mercy, forgiveness. Do you see it? God is both, at the same time, a just judge and gracious and merciful. God can't simply forgive your sins and sweep them under the carpet and pretend like they never existed, because he's a just judge and he must act according to his justice. The reason why God can forgive your sins is because Jesus took them on himself and God punished them in Christ. 
Jesus died the death that we deserve, which was the penalty for sin back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. If you have a cross, either at church or in your house or on your wall, around your neck, take a good look at it. The cross was a death instrument. It was something designed to pour out judgment on people. The Romans punished criminals by nailing them to crosses. So take a good look at it. That cross was intended for you. You were supposed to die that death. You were supposed to receive the punishment of God for your sins. But God did something amazing. He went to the cross for you, taking your place. So God doesn't hold your sins against you because his wrath and justice were poured out on Christ. Now, to see the gospel played out in history, listen to episode 32. So God gets a bad rap, but that's largely because sinful man distorts a particular aspect of God. First, sinful man twists that aspect in a way that's not favorable to God. So they say that God is harsh. Well, is God harsh? Well, his punishment certainly isn't kind and gentle. He pours out his judgment on those who deserve it. Remember, we violated the holy law of God. We're the bad guys, not him. So God's punishment is severe, but at the same time, God is good. He's right. He's fair. He's just. Look again at Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, and see that God is just and will not let the guilty go free, but at the same time, he's gracious, merciful, patient, loving. If you have a distorted view of God, it needs to change. First, it's unfair to God. Second, it may prevent you from approaching God with love. Are you afraid of him? Well, if you're not a believer in Christ, you better be. God's harsh punishment is waiting for you, not because he's a cosmic child abuser, but because you're guilty. But if you are a believer in Christ, then you come to him with love and gratitude. He is your heavenly father, not your master. Jesus is God who became a man, who died in your place to rescue you from sin, death, and the devil. Think about how amazing that is. The God who put the Son in place came to rescue you. you. And as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the God that gets a bad rap, and it's important that we know him as he really is. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.